Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had already looked at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks for your word. We pray that you would use your word this morning to illumine our minds and our hearts, to help us see things that we cannot see with earthly eyes, but by the power of your spirit working through your word, may you strengthen us, may you encourage us, and may you bind us together. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. You know, with where we're at in the Gospel of Mark, things have kind of been escalating in the last few weeks. You know, last week it was the blind man who could see who declared uh, that Jesus was the son of David. This week, Jesus begins to do son of David things, which is to say he's doing kingly, royal things. As he comes triumphantly into the city of Jerusalem, you know, in the Gospel of Mark, he actually has not entered Jerusalem before, so this is the, the first time he goes into Jerusalem here, and he comes in triumphantly with, with much fanfare. There's so much anticipation is built up for this moment because he's not just a, a normal visitor, right? He's, he's not coming with a, a camera around his neck, checking out the sites, you know, going to the tourist centers, but he's coming to make a claim on his people and on a throne. He's coming to establish his kingdom, He's coming to do battle, and this event kind of marks the beginning of what we now call Holy Week, a week that begins in jubilation, but as we know, ends on Friday in despair as the disciples watch Jesus die a brutal death as they lay him in a tomb. Let's just say it doesn't end the way they thought it was going to end. The one day that lived up to its hype for them was actually this day. This day on Palm Sunday when he came in Jerusalem was exactly what they were hoping for. It was exactly what they thought and imagined it would be. It must have been a high elation for them to come into the city like they did. And even this high point of the week, though, has some things that are strange for us reading it today. For instance, there's so much focus on an animal. 
on a donkey of all animals. You know, different animals have different associations for us. Uh, you know, think about dogs and the different kind of types of dogs and they have associations. You know, for one um, is our own dog, Puff. When we first met our sweet dog, Puff, it was a stray dog and my kids met this dog in the park and Jen saw them petting this dog and she yelled, get away from that dog, it's, it's gonna eat you, right? It's because of the Puff happens to be a giant Rottweiler if you know anything about that kind of breed, you know, they're, they're a little bit dangerous, a little bit scary because they're so territorial, you don't know what's going to set them off and then they'll attack you. Um, thankfully, Puff did not do this, but I actually see the fear that comes into people's eyes the first time they visit our house. They get out of their car, like, oh, we're going to Craig's house. This is great. And then they get one look at our dog standing on the porch and you can just see fear and dread like drop into their eyes because he gets up and he looks mean. He's got this mean, mean bark. You know, he, he scares people. This is, you know, animals have associations for us. To this day, he still hasn't eaten anybody, so it's okay. I'm pretty safe. Um, but, uh, you know, like lions, right? Lions are kings of the, of the jungle. Uh, you know, in the Bible, it's told to be innocent as doves. When you think about horses and stallions, you think royal, right? That they're fit for leaders because they have this majestic strength. They're war animals. But what do we think of when you think of a donkey, Right? You think, uh, you, think, you think humble, you think sad, right? There's a reason why in Winnie the Pooh, the donkey is the sad pessimist, right? Because donkeys are humble creatures and they have that sad look about them, very indifferent. So in this text here before us, why all this focus on a donkey? Especially for the Gospel of Mark, which, if, which I'm sure you all remember, but the Gospel of Mark is such a, a fast-paced narrative. He rarely gives us lots of details. And so whenever he gives us lots of details and repeats certain things, he's trying to draw our attention to something. And, uh, and it's very intentional. He doesn't use words on accident or, or without meaning. And here, at this, the coronation of Jesus, when he enters the city as king, we find much of the passage revolving around an unusual character, and it's around the character of this donkey. The donkey is important to Mark. And one commentator even goes as far as to say that this, uh, in this text, we find the gospel according to the donkey, because in the donkey, we find the gospel on full display for us. And so this morning, as we see Jesus make his claim as king, as we witness the coronation of the king here, the long-awaited Messiah, the donkey is going to be our teacher through this text. And I think the donkey is going to teach us three really important things about the king. He's going to teach us about the king's nature, the king's burden, and the king's victory. So first, he teaches us about the nature of the king. You know, and there's, there's two aspects to Jesus' nature as king that we find here. And, and these are two aspects that actually seem at odds with each other at first, but they end up showing the, the true otherworldly nature of just who Jesus is because his nature is both humble and royal. Right? Jesus is both fully humble, humility, and he's, and he's a king, he's, he's royal. Two things that don't often go together, Jesus holds together perfectly. And first, we see the donkey showing us the humility of Jesus, beginning here in verse 2. It says, And they said to him, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. So here's simple instructions, right? Jesus tells his disciples, Hey, get me a colt, which in the context here, and what we're going to see in, in, a, in a prophecy we're going to read, he's talking about a, a young donkey to ride on, one that hadn't been ridden before which is a sign that it's probably going to be used for something uh, religious in nature. Uh, and so 
he asks for a donkey, and they bring him a donkey, and in verse 3, you know, it says that the Lord has need of it. This is kind of strange. Jesus needs a donkey. Well, why? Why does Jesus need a donkey? You know, Jesus has been walking literally everywhere he's gone in the entire gospel. Uh, you know, there's actually even a term for that. People say God works God speed, which is like two miles per hour, the, the, the time it takes, to, the average walking time. And so, so it's a little strange that Jesus all of a sudden needs a donkey when he's walked everywhere. Uh, further, actually, when, when, when uh, Jews would go into Jerusalem during Holy Week, which for them it wasn't Holy Week, but they were coming in for Passover, making that pilgrimage into the, into the temple, uh, it was customary for them to actually walk into the city. And that was an important aspect of the pilgrimage. Unless you were maimed and you couldn't walk, you were supposed to walk. And so uh, Jesus is doing something strange in a lot of accounts. So why a donkey and why now? Uh, simply because he needs it in order to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies about him. What he's doing is straight out of one of the Old Testament prophets, Zechariah. Zechariah 9, and speaking of the future coming king, he says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Mark is using the language of this Old Testament prophet, Zechariah 9, for us, showing us that Jesus is coming in as that humble king, mounted on a colt. Behold your king, he comes to you. And it's interesting, he's not on a war horse, but he's humble, coming humbly on a donkey. He said, rejoice, he is coming to save you. Now think for a moment just about the, the political context. Jesus isn't king for them. Caesar is king. There is no other in here. Jesus is walking into a city that's already claimed by another king, being heralded as a king. Jesus is doing everything here so deliberate. He knows what he is saying, and by virtue of his coming in this manner, it would say that he's coming to lay siege on the city, right, to make war. But how does he ride in? Does he ride in on a war horse? No, he rides in humbly on a donkey, showing this profound confidence as he rides in on a donkey, which although it doesn't make sense to us in our worldly eyes, it sure makes a lot of sense of everything we've read in Mark, doesn't it? Even what we read in Philippians this morning, that Jesus is a servant. Right? Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom. Right? Jesus is the humble king, coming to claim his throne, not with a sword on a war horse, but with a donkey, headed to his own funeral, laying his life down. And in a real way, this procession is both a coronation and a funeral as he marches to his own death. This is humility on display. Jesus comes as the king who lays down his life. The donkey points us towards his humility. But the donkey doesn't just point us towards this humility. There's another aspect of his nature. It's his divine kingship. In this, the donkey is also a profound flex by Jesus because he's making a claim on this title, I am the son of David. He is saying that the Old Testament prophets spoke of me. Right, the long-awaited king is me. He, Jesus is not hiding from his identity in this moment. And what he is doing isn't just a nod to the prophets of old, but it's actually a nod to the great kings of old, the greatest. And there's three places where we find uh, kings riding donkeys in the Old Testament. The first is the greatest king of them all, David. Right? It's in, uh, in 2 Samuel 15 when, when David is fleeing from his son Absalom, who's trying to kill him. He, he, he runs out of Jerusalem, and his path that he takes out of Jerusalem when he's running for his life is actually backwards to the path that Jesus takes into the city here. 
As he fled Jerusalem, David went by the Mount of Olives. He weeped over the city as he went, and he met a servant who brought him a donkey for him and his family to ride on. Well, here Jesus, in a very real way, is reversing this moment, not as a king retreating for his life, but as a king coming into the city to lay down his life. He's great David's greater son. We see this verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives. Right? Jesus, as he's coming in, is passing through the Mount of Olives. And really, it's an unnecessary detail that Mark points out to us. He's making a connection. Right? Even in the Gospel of Luke, it says that Jesus actually also, from, from up there, weeps over the city. But where David was helpless as he fled, Jesus flees into the danger. He is the divine royal one. He is the king. And the donkey is not just showing off this humility, but this, this royalty that Jesus is the true king coming to claim his kingdom. It's not just David who rides a donkey, though. His, David's other son, Solomon, actually rides a donkey as well. In 1 Kings 1, during his own coronation, he, as he rides to, to sit on the throne of his father, he rides a donkey. Jesus, the greater son, is identifying as that king. The last instance is, is later in 2 Kings with King Jeshu, whose very name is, is nearly the same as Jesus' name, which is Jeshua. And he was anointed king by the prophet Elisha, and his coronation also included him riding on a donkey, people putting their, their, their coats on the ground for him to walk over. The people knew these stories. This is exactly what Jesus is emulating here. As he sends for a donkey, as he sits on it, he was, as he's paraded into the city, the city of David, they call it, like those who had gone before, we see the royalty of Christ. Jesus, the long-awaited king, he is here in all his humility and all his divine royalty, the culmination of all their hopes and dreams, Jesus, walking into the city. And as it says here, he's bringing the kingdom of David with him. This is a profound moment for these people. These people have been waiting hundreds of years for this event. Hundreds of years they have hoped and lost hope and, and hoped again. They've endured foreign rulers, temples being destroyed, exile, and now all their waiting, all their waiting that probably seemed vain is, is over. Their king has arrived. He is here. He has come for his throne. Jesus is saying, I am that king. It is me. I'm coming to establish the kingdom. And even in this, there's actually more for the donkey to teach us. He's teaching us the nature of our king, that he's divine, that he is royal, that he is humble. But he's also teaching us something subversive about the king's intentions and how he aims to establish this kingdom. And we see this in the second aspect of the donkey here, and it's the burden of our king, the burden of our king. Let's look back here at verse 4 to 7. It says, and they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let, him, and they let them go. And, and they brought the colt to the Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Remember, this, this level of detail is very uncharacteristic of Mark. Mark is, Mark is intentionally drawing our attention to these details around the donkey and how it was acquired and how Jesus sat on it. Jesus is, I mean, donkeys... Uh, weren't used in this day actually that much different than we would use them in our own day. Like they're pack animals, right? They carry things. They did not typically carry people. So there's, there's an exception to that, and we will get to that later, but th they, they carried heavy things for people. They carried people's burdens. That's why another title for donkey was actually a beast 
of burden. Even Isaiah alludes to this title. They're considered beasts of burden because they carried people's burdens, things too heavy for people to carry. They laid them on these beasts. And here, what do we see happening? They bring the burst of burden to Jesus. And they put their cloaks on it, he says. And it says, and Jesus sat on it. Which is an interesting detail because, of course, we know that Jesus sits on the donkey. He rides it. So why did we point out that minute detail? Because sitting on the burden of beasts is Jesus, the king, right? The one who comes to bear the burdens of the world, the great burden bearer. The beast of burden has a job to do, to deliver this great burden bearer to his final stop, marching him into the city so he can bear that greater burden. Jesus' duty is to bear the burden to the rightful end. This is why he goes into Jerusalem before the religious leaders, before Pilate, right, bearing humiliation as he's mocked, as he's beat, bearing damnation as he's condemned to die, and finally on the cross bearing extermination as he bears this burden, the burden of the cross, the burden of the sins of the world for one reason, so that you might be freed from the burden of sin. This is why Jesus, this is Jesus' burden. His burden is yours and mine and the sins of the world. And he comes into the city bearing that burden that the world might be free from it. His burden is your sin and the effects of sin and all that is broken in this world. And this is, he nailed it to the cross that you might be freed. His aim is to free you and the entire creation from the bondage of sin. The kingdom is coming to claim, is claimed through his burden carrying, through the cross. In, his classic, in a classic book by John Bunyan called The Pilgrim's Process, Pro- Progress, Bunyan describes this moment of having a burden removed. At the very beginning of the book, there's a classic character. The, the, the main character's name is Christian. And he's carrying this heavy burden on his back and he's trying to find a way to get this burden off his back. And the whole book is about the pilgrimage of following Jesus. And as it says, as he's walking towards this cross and this tomb, the burden suddenly falls off his back and it rolls into the tomb and it says it's seen no more. And Christian stands up and he rejoices for joy that this burden has been removed. This is what Jesus is carrying into Jerusalem this day. This is what the the donkey carries into Jerusalem as he carries Jesus to you who are exhausted in this room, to you who are heavy laden, to you who are burdened beyond bear. Come, find your rest in Jesus. The reason why he can say that in him is rest is because he has actually already carried your burden and placed your burdens to death, nailing them on the cross. And Jesus bids you come to let him carry what you can never carry on your own. And in this beautiful moment, what we find is in our king that we find that our burdens are not our own. But as we belong to Jesus in faith, our burdens belong to him too. He is the good king. He longs to take your burdens. Let him take them. And we know that he can actually handle them because he didn't come just to die. Anyone can die. But he came to rise and to make you to be a born again new creation. And this is actually the last thing that the donkey teaches us is the the victory of our king, the victory of the king. Looking back here at verse eight, and they, and many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. 
So here we finally see the event, right? That he rides in. He's both the humble king riding into town and yet a, a royal son of David king being received with great hysteria, right? Waving palm branches, which have been a, a patriotic thing for Israelites to do. It would have been similar to us waving flags as like the president came into to town. You know, they're shouting Hosanna, which is a word that, that simply means God save us. Right? Our great king, save us. The great, greater son of David, save us. For them, this is their victory parade. He comes in as this victorious king in the name of the Lord, the one that's going to bring about the kingdom of David. Their expectations are through the roof at this moment. And what's beautiful is that Jesus does nothing to curb their enthusiasm. In fact, in Luke, when some tried to curb it, Jesus famously says to them, if you stopped, even the rocks would cry out. This moment can't be contained. And even Jesus riding on a donkey points to this truth. Right? The donkey points to this victory. I mentioned earlier, but a king riding a donkey wasn't entirely unconventional at this time. Right? Normally, kings, they didn't ride donkeys. Normally, what a king would ride would be a war horse was surrounded by his generals going out to, to war, or he would be riding in a chariot with different protective guard around him. However, in certain times of peace, it was not entirely un unnatural for a king to actually ride on a donkey. In times of peace, or in moments of profound confidence, a king would ride a donkey as if to, as if to taunt his enemies, as if to say, you can't touch me. I'm so confident of this truth, I'm riding on a donkey alone. Come and get me. You can't. And also a signal to his people to say, we are at peace. There is no need for a war horse today. It's a sign of profound confidence. It's a sign of victory. Jesus is saying, listen, the war is over. Which is kind of insane because he's, the war hasn't even begun. It doesn't look like, right? And he's marching into foreign territory. And Jesus is saying, listen, although I'm marching into foreign territory, I march as one who is already victorious. I march as one that's in a time of peace. That's how confident I am because I come on a donkey. Victory is mine. The battle is over before it began. This is beautiful, profound moment of victory, of confidence. It sounds amazing to us. It would have been amazing for these people except how the week ends up going, not as expected. It doesn't look like victory, does it? How can he be so confident knowing that he's going to ride into this town and be mocked and crucified and hung out and his disciples, the ones that are the closest to him, are actually going to betray him? How can he be this confident in this moment knowing what's about to happen? Because he knows that Easter's coming. Right, there's nothing that sin and Satan and even death can do to stop this from happening. Right, as unavoidable as the cross is, so unavoidable is his resurrection. Right, he is able to march into the city knowing the suffering that is before him, knowing the pain that it will cause him, knowing that it will look like defeat with utter confidence, right? the confidence of a donkey because he knows Easter is coming. He knows the grave can't hold him. Right? The palm, promise of Palm Sunday and Easter doesn't exempt you from suffering, but it does transform it. Because your suffering doesn't win, resurrection wins. Behold your king. He is the victorious one. He is the risen one. You know, as one other pastor says, we, like Jesus approaching Jerusalem, are born in the conviction that we too will rise. 
Right? Two things are before all of us, death and resurrection, suffering and redemption. And no matter what else happened that is before you, if we set our hearts on how this story ends, then we will have a strange confidence that comes from knowing Jesus. So it's in this spirit that we enter Holy Week, knowing that resurrection is on the other side. And this is what we find that the donkey is teaching us, right? When we live with this kind of confidence, it will drive the world around you crazy because they lack it. They will think you're crazy because our world revolves around comfort and fear, right? Our culture is built on the same lie that caught Adam and Eve, Right, that we can be our own gods, that we can define what is true, that the best thing for us is to avoid suffering at all costs. Because without the hope of resurrection, what else do you have but to try to avoid it? suffering and death? But Palm Sunday says for us that this ought not be so for you, for you who claim Jesus. I know how easy it is for us to lose hope in God's kingdom. When we see the, the church in massive decline in, in the Western world and the church shrinking in dramatic rates, you know, it, sometimes it can feel for us like the enemy is winning. When we look around and we see the problems of our day we, in despair, we see poverty, we see senseless violence, we see government corruption, we see unjust judges and so on and so on. It's easy for us to look at all that is wrong in our world and lose hope, to think that maybe Jesus isn't victorious. One of the things Palm Sunday is teaching us is we ought not lose hope. You know how the story ends. The enemy's power is already stripped. The power of this age will not end. This moment is temporary, but the resurrection is forever. He is making this, his kingdom come and reign on earth as it is in heaven. And this is as sure as Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus can enter Palm Sunday with confidence, like this on a donkey, Knowing what was before him, we can enter into whatever he puts before us with greater confidence. Not because we glory in suffering, not because we wish it upon ourselves, but because we glory in the end of suffering, which is resurrection. And so our call is to not live in the fear of suffering, but in the hope of resurrection. May this Sunday strengthen our resolve and our hope in the power of the gospel. May we trust what our eyes can't see, but what our spiritual eyes strain to see. May this day strengthen our hope and resolve to follow Jesus into whatever suffering he puts before us. May we never forget that sin has already been defeated. Our king is victorious today. And may our hope in the midst of suffering shine as a light in a world that is desperately in need of gospel hope. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for Jesus, who goes before us, even walking into his own demise, as we consider the truths of this story, may you give us the confidence of Christ to walk into whatever that's before us because we are so confident in the power and the truth of the resurrection, that your resurrection is working, that it is bearing fruit even when we don't see it. Strengthen our resolve, strengthen our hope, strengthen our gaze that, that we might never take it off of you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.